is I think as we look at, at this psalm, and it's not unusual to all of the psalms, all of them really have very similar characteristics to this, but Psalm 31 really does, it seems to have this wide range of almost two Davids or two psalms within a psalm. You know, that opening of Psalm 31 and that closing of the psalm are really powerful, full of confidence, full of joy, expecting goodness in life, expecting God to protect, to be a refuge, to be strength for him. And then at the end, right, he encourages all believers to be strong, to take courage, to wait for the Lord. And I think often we feel like David in that moment. We feel confident in God's protection. We feel confident in his goodness towards us and that he has good for us. And we look with that hopefulness, this happiness that, that Laura shared. You know, if you only had the beginning and the ending, you would think that David is pretty happy and in a great position and a great place of strength. But then there's the middle section of Psalm 31. With David in tremendous distress, his body is wasted away because of his sin. He's lost all of his motivation, all of his energy. He can barely move his body. He's so depressed and despondent, right? He just, he can't get out of bed. And beyond that, he's become the reproach of everyone that was near and dear to him, that he's looked at now with scorn. People either talk about him, right? In those whispers, and we've all been there, we feel like everybody's talking about us. Or he's completely forgotten, right? It's as if I'm dead. Nobody is checking in on me. Nobody is caring about me. No one sees me or hears me. He's broken, right? Like a broken vessel. That's tough. This, This is difficult. And we've been in those places too. I think all of us at our times have had times in our lives, seasons of our lives, where we feel this same way. But rarely, and this is what's so striking and alarming about the Psalms, right? Rarely are we in the same place at the same time, where we have such hope and confidence in God's goodness and his refuge and his strength and that he hears us, he cares for us, and he is good for us in the midst of feeling broken and rejected and ashamed. But David is. How is he able to be honest with his hurt, his pain, his disappointment, his sin, and still find hope in God? Because to be honest with, right, this is not how I respond the way David responds to his suffering. I do not respond in this way. I tend to retreat in hard times, right? And I come back out when I've gotten to a better place. Much like Laura's story that she was sharing, that's all of our default setting. I just want to be, things are rough right now. Let me get my act together. Let me at least look like I've got my act together. And then I will come out. Because I can't honestly say that I trust God because I don't trust God. Everything in my life is falling apart. We are easily overcome by our circumstances. Easily. I'm easily overcome I'm easily embarrassed. I'm easily put to shame. And I lose trust 
I lose trust in people, I lose trust in things, and ultimately I lose trust in God and his faithfulness to us. So what keeps us from the ability to sing Psalm 31 with any amount of genuine honesty? And I think David really hits it right on the head in the psalm, and he hits it twice in the beginning and the end. Let me never be put to shame, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. Right? He repeats that phrase throughout this psalm. It's as if he's saying, right, I am having a hard time right now, Lord, believing that you are not going to let me down like everyone and everything else in my life has done. Please don't let me down, God. I am putting all of my hope in you right now. Don't fail me. Everyone else in my life has failed me. Everything in my life has failed me. Please don't fail me. Don't disappoint me. Because if you disappoint me like everything else, what am I going to do? What keeps us from singing this psalm, what keeps us from experiencing this hope and confidence in the midst of our suffering, David recognizes it and prays for it. It's our shame. Shame is what keeps us away from trusting in God in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our circumstances. And Psalm 31 really then speaks to really our, our greatest need. All the psalms do, and it's you know, 32 last week that George preached through, and now 31 really do work well together. There was too much. We had a lot of debate in the ministry team about doing them both in the same Sunday, but that's just too much to cover. But they do work well together because, you know, last week it was all about guilt, right? Confess your sins. You know, you need to confess your sin. This week, David is not calling us to confess our sins, we need to get over our shame. We have the tools as evangelical Christians, or just Christians are good at this. We have tools and practices in our lives for overcoming guilt. But when it comes to shame, that, that is a struggle to talk about our shame, to be overcome, and how we overcome shame is a difficult thing to do because guilt just to be really clear, right, like what is the difference here between guilt and shame? Because you see these right away in the human experience, right? This is the garden, right after sin, and that becomes the model for all of us. We are going to experience both guilt for what we've done and shame about who we've become. Because guilt is about the things that we've done, and a lot of us feel guilty, rightfully so. We've done things, and we regret the things that we've done in our lives. The pattern typically, right, is we do these things because of God's great love for us. He disciplines us. Many of you have you experienced the loving discipline of the Lord, Amen. calling out your transgressions. Oh, thank the Lord. So we repent, which is good. And we were forgiven. And we experience that forgiveness of our sins. And the guilt is removed from us, the charges are cleared. And that's good. And we stay, though, just within our guilt. And we continue, because it felt so good to confess our sin and to feel that forgiveness, we continue to try to list our transgressions 
and we seek confession. And churches have done this for, for ages since Christ left. And that kind of introspection, and I got to figure out, you know, what I've done wrong, and I need to confess it so I can feel better about myself. I, I will confess my sins. I will list out my transgressions. Oh, it's prayer time tonight. I better th- think about, I better come up with the things that I've done wrong. And if I can just confess the things that I've done wrong, I will finally, I'll feel better. I'll be better. This time I'll be better. I confess. I can do it. And we list those transgressions and we hope for the best. But shame is not about the things that we've done. Shame centers around who we are. Shame is not regret over particular wrongdoings or transgressions, but rather it's a real general feeling. And all of us have experienced shame. It's a constant experience in all of our lives. It's a general feeling of just not being right, of being wrong, of things lacking. We feel ashamed because of what we've done and because of what's been done to us. We feel broken. We feel messed up. We feel unlovable. We feel like everybody knows this about us or, and we can't get over it. It's a feeling of regret, of being let down by the type of person who would do the things that we've done and continue to do. I thought I was over this, and I keep doing it. What kind of person does this again and again? What kind of person lets this person do this to them? What kind of person doesn't just, and it's this feelings of shame and regret Guilt is about the things we've done. Shame is ultimately about our fears and our disappointments. And it's much harder to talk about. It's much harder to deal with because it requires so much more vulnerability. You know, one book I was reading this week on shame, you know, shame really reveals what we worship. It reveals our disappointments and how we feel foolish and let down by the things that we put our hope in. That's when I feel ashamed. And we should pause there. Right? Like if shame, the presence of shame in our life reveals that I was worshiping something other than God. That's why I feel ashamed. Amen. It let me down. I feel like a fool. I feel wrong. We are constantly being put to shame in our lives, by all of these different gods, all of these things that we put our hope into, they continually let us down and we continually feel disappointed and like a fool. Why did I think that was going to work? We are disappointed and embarrassed in our marriages, in our kids, in our careers, in our ability to overcome our sin, in our ability to change, in our bodies, All of these things make us feel ashamed. I thought I could do this. I thought this would be this way. I didn't. Why? I I didn't think I would be this type of person or in this circumstance, struggling with these same things over and over and over. To acknowledge our shame is to acknowledge our foolishness, and nobody wants to acknowledge being a fool. 
that we, in fact, have been worshiping the wrong things. We know we've been forgiven of sins. I think anybody who's been around the church for a long time knows that. We know that on a very academic level in our heads. We know our sins are forgiven. But it's really hard to get over the effect of our sin. This lingering experience of sin in our life. Because I've done these things, and because these sins have been done to me, I know I've been forgiven, I know they've been forgiven, but man, it doesn't feel good. I'm still dealing with the experiences of those sins. I know that the old Adam, right, my, my flesh has been killed. I know that my sin was cut off from me, but in one book kind of gave it this way too, that you know, that old Adam gets drowned in my baptism, but boy, he's a good swimmer. And he keeps swimming back up. My sin keeps bubbling back up to the surface. I know I've been forgiven. Man, why is it so hard? This life, this experience. So we hide. We compartmentalize. Of course, we make boxes. I share parts of my life. I choose which parts of my life to share. We've been trained to share certain things and to not share other things with God, with others, because we don't want to look like a fool, right? If I share my disappointments, I'm going to look foolish. I will be judged because I never, I know I never should have put my hope in that. I know that. And if I share this, I'm going to be exposed that I put too much hope in my career, that I put too much hope in my marriage, I put too much hope in me. I can't talk about my disappointment, my fear, my shame, but I can talk about my transgressions. I can come up with lists of things. And this experience of shame, it really makes us gun shy that we could ever trust anybody, that we could ever trust God, we could ever trust the church. They're just gonna let me down. He's just gonna let me down. How can I trust? And a lot of this, there's a sociologist I was reading as well talking about just within our modern Western culture, you know, we live in an age of choice. And as societies and cultures develop more and more, and there's more economic freedom, there's more ability to move and to choose career paths, to choose colleges, to choose all these things. That, that within the, with the rise of freedom, which is a good thing, there's also been a rise in the need for therapy and counseling. <laughs> Those two things have been rising at the same time. I was just talking with a woman from China who's here in the States studying psychology because she wants to become a psychotherapist to be able to go back to China because it's just because she sees as the rise of this upwardly mobile whole generation in China, now these needs of psychology are through the roof as well. Because with choice, and the psychologist, or this uh, sociologist was saying, he wasn't a Christian, but just saying, with the rise of choice, there's no one to blame for my failures anymore, except for me. I had choices, and I chose this. I can't blame my parents. I can't blame the system. I can't blame anyone else. It's, I, can only, I'm, I can't escape the shame the foolishness of my decisions. How do I get out of it? 
I, I, I needed to choose better, and I didn't. So we experience shame on a daily basis. We're constantly put to shame by the things that we put our hope into. Except for in God. He's the only one who won't put you to shame. And this is where David is. If you look at where David is in this psalm, he's not confessing his sins to the Lord. He's confessed his sins. That's been done. He's confessed his sins, but he is experiencing the effect of his sin in his life. The lingering effects of his sin. But he he doesn't know when it's going to end. He's pretty honest in the psalm. He doesn't know that things aren't going to get worse. He doesn't know that tomorrow, right, his body is going to start feeling good again. Or that tomorrow, you know, they're going to make him the king again. Or, you know, he doesn't know that anything's going to get better. He's in a place where he, and he knows that what he is experiencing is just. Like he, he's, it's because of his sin. He recognizes it, says it, right? I, it's because of my sin that I'm languishing. It's not like I've done nothing wrong here. This is on me, and I'm experiencing now the frustration that comes with it. And he's turning to God and asking him to cover his shame. Don't let me down, God. Everything else has let me down. So how can we experience the same level of hope in the midst of our shame? Well, there's a lot in Psalm 31. And we could meditate on this psalm and pull it, I mean, for a long time. I want to pull out just two, I think, truths that David really clings to and that are so helpful for us to cling to as well in the midst of our shame, right? The first truth that I think David really clings to and is calling us to cling to is that God has seen him and knows him. You have seen me in my affliction, and you know me. You have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. You have set my feet in a broad place. Because in our lie, or in our, our shame, we, we always believe lies, right? This is what we do. In my shame, the lie I believe is that everybody, well, kind of two things. One, maybe everybody sees me, but nobody knows me, right? In my shame, nobody gets me. Nobody can relate to me. Nobody could speak to me. And so we compartmentalize. We look for people who have gone through the same things or who have the same issues or who know the same things or specialists or whatever it is because nobody would get me. Nobody could know me. They don't know me. They see me, sure. These people in the church, they see me. The people They see me, but they can't know me. Nobody really knows me. So we self-select we work to change our image. We do self-care because we don't believe anybody else will care for us. So I better take care of myself. God sees you and he knows you. That's David's hope. And the second hope that David has, I think really speaks to us in the midst of our shame, he believes that God has good for him. He really believes it, even though there's no evidence, but that he believes that God has good for him. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you 
and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Like, you have so much goodness stored up for me and you lavish on me in the sight of everyone, in the sight of my enemies. There's only goodness. You are only holding goodness for me. Because the lie that we believe in our shame is that there is no good waiting for us, only punishment, only suffering. We grow cold, we grow pessimistic, we grow stoic. We even learn to love it, the suffering, or think we need it, right? Very kind of medieval penitent-like. I'm just going to suffer. That's all that's left for me to do. I am so messed up. There can be no good. I have to suffer. Suffering is what I deserve. We struggle in our worship. We struggle to find joy or to be happy. Laura's comment about that, the happiness, right? I mean, that's beautiful. I can't do it, though, when I only think bad is in store for me, when I only think suffering is what I deserve. We live moment to moment to moment, no hope in the future. We can't articulate or visualize what possible good God may have. And so we're confronted by the truth of Scripture, right? David is confronting us in the psalm with the truth in the midst of our circumstances. And that truth of Scripture, that truth of the gospel, right, is that God sees you. He really does. Whether anyone else in your life sees you or not, and what a gift that you have people in your life who do see you, who do know you, that we have the church. That's a gift. But even if we don't, you have the Lord. He sees you. And he loves you. That there is no disappointment or fear you have, no misplaced hope or level of selfishness that God doesn't know about. You can't hide from him your worship. You can't hide from him your fear. You can't hide from him your disappointments. He knows them. And he loves you still. He chose you. From before the world's foundations, he chose you. He knows you. You can't surprise him. And God has good for us. This is the truth of the Bible. He took the punishment for us. That hand is empty, the hand that holds punishment against us. It's been spent. He holds goodness for us. Abundant goodness is stored for us. And that's all he has. You are his son and daughter in whom he is well pleased. God purchased you with the life of his son. How can you believe that punishment awaits you? He disciplines the ones that he loves. Right, this is true. He disciplines the ones that he loves. The discipline is not suffering. It's not punishment. The discipline is out of his love for us. But he disciplines. You don't have to discipline yourself because of your, your sense of shame. Nor do you have to discipline the ones that you love. The Lord brings discipline. He has given us life and has given it abundantly. And for David, he knows this is true because he has the law. He has God's promises. 
right? You think back to 2 Samuel 7, like we read, when God told him, right? Like, David, I choose you. I have good for you. It's through this promised child. I will save you. I mean, he knows the law. He knows God's promises. And how much more so for us who have Jesus. And as we think and meditate on Christ and we go into this place of David, everything that we experience, Christ has experienced. This is why God took on flesh. Everything you have experienced, he has experienced. He sees you, he knows you. He was betrayed, mocked, ridiculed, so that I will never be. Like what was meant to shame him, the cross, right? He took the symbol of shame, the greatest possible symbol of shame. He took it on himself and shamed the enemy with it. Amen. There's no more shame in Christ because he flipped it. Because he committed his spirit to God. And to your hands I commit my spirit, right? That's what David says. Because Christ does that on our behalf, I can trust him. I can give him my spirit. I can trust that he has good. And because I was united with him in death and in his resurrection, whoa, right? This is a new thing. In one, one of these books, it was, uh, Soul Care, we're reading two books that are called Soul Care, so it's confusing, but one's, one book called Soul Care, they're referencing this, like that the difficulty in overcoming shame and the, the prescription being therapy, but not just what we think of as psychological you know, therapy, clinical therapy, but really we need baptismal therapy. This is the prescription Paul gives continually through the New Testament. And it's really true, because what we talk about, that Adam is a good swimmer. It was in my baptism, right? Paul continually asks us to remember what happened to you in your baptism. Think about it. Remember what happened to you when you became a Christian. When you came to Christ, remember that you died with Christ. That when Christ died, you died. When Christ rose, you rose. A new creation. And that this dying to self is a daily occurrence. And this remembering of who you are. That this is not me. I am not a failure. I am not a sinner. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. That Adam keeps swimming, absolutely. I keep sinning, and I keep experiencing the effects of my sin, but I don't have to feel shame because it's not me. I can honestly confess my sin and not be overcome by it. I can honestly confess my guilt and my shame, and if I have guilt and shame, it's because I'm not worshiping Jesus. Jesus doesn't, Give me shame. For putting my hope, hope, Jesus doesn't let me down. And it's good then for me to redirect it, to speak of my disappointment, to speak of my fears, so that I can be redirected in my worship, that I can be reminded of who I am. And so the Christian life, in one that David operates in, it's remembering who we are. That's just what we need to do continually, is to be reminded of who we are. This is why we go to house church. This is why we come to church. It's why we sing songs. It's why we study. Like Laura mentioned, you know, if you've been in a house church for a long time, right, we tend to get sick of, it's like, oh, Colossians and Ephesians again? Oh, yeah, my, I need it my whole life. The truth of the gospel, I need it in front of me. I need to be reminded of, that I am a new creation, that I am not my sin, 
that Christ has washed me. That I can now look at myself, I can remember who I am, and I can see my sin, and I can see the sins that others have done to me. I can be honest with it, but not be overcome by guilt and shame. And it doesn't, it pales in comparison to the who I now am in Christ, to the glory that awaits, right? I mean, that's how Paul tells us to reframe our thinking. Be honest with your sin. Be honest with your pain and your suffering, but put it in its bright perspective. It's nothing in comparison with the glory that awaits. This is not who I will be. It's who I am now, but it's been removed from me. And Christ has given me a new life, a new identity. It's hid with him and it's going to come one day. And one day, I'm not going to struggle. One day, I'm not going to have any of these problems anymore. And I can't wait for that day. And I have his spirit with me now to start to experience that life more and more. To be happy. To be blessed. We have to deal with who we are. Not just with what we've done. That's the skill we got to start to learn how to do more and more. And the Psalms help to direct us in this. The Christian life is not just a life of confessing our, confessing our sins, coming up with a list of transgressions and constantly trying to rattle them off and get forgiveness. The Christian life is giving Christ, giving God our entire selves, our hopes and our fears, our failures, our frustration, our guilt and our shame. It's meditating on and experiencing the realities of our salvation, admitting our need for healing, and putting our hope in Christ alone. And these words of David are meant to be our words as well. That's the amazing thing about the Psalms, right? This is a song that was meant for Israel to sing. It's like, whoa, this is not a, this is happy and sad, whoa, right? And that's how we are supposed to be. That in the midst of my suffering and my pain and my hurts, my shame, right? My foolishness, because I thought this would bring me life and it let me down, because we're constantly being let down, that we're being directed to worship again. To put our hope in Christ and to believe that he knows us and that he sees us, that he has good for us. Because if we actually believe this, right, do you see what changes? Like If you really believed daily, and it's hard to believe, David, it's hard for David to believe. That's why it's like, a, please don't put me to shame, God. <laughs> I'm having a hard time trusting you because that's true. Because of our experiences of being let down, we're going to put that on God too. You know, we, we put on him our experiences. If we had a dad who let us down our whole lives, we're going to see God that way. We're going to see our spouse that way. If we've been let down in jobs, career, I mean, we're going to see God, we, we, we're, we're going to project that on him. God can handle it. He can handle your doubt, Right? please don't put me to shame. Right? It's, putting, it's learning to put that trust in him and to be honest in the midst of our shame and believing that he actually knows us and that he actually has good for us. And if we believed that, that he was actually pleased with us, that he really did love us, and that he only has good waiting for us, that life hid with him, what would change, right? Right? we would stop trying to constantly wash ourselves because he's washed me. Who am I to wash what Christ has made perfect? This constant need to suffer, the constant need to make myself feel bad, to do religious observations. You know, if I just do more of these things, I'll finally feel better about myself. I can stop. 
he's made me clean. We can stop punishing ourselves because he took the punishment. Who am I to punish myself when Christ has already been punished on my behalf? Am I supposed to make up for something? Was Christ's death and suffering not enough for me? That I need to suffer more? That Jesus didn't suffer enough? I don't have to continue to punish myself. I can enjoy my life. I can choose joy and be happy. And if I really believe this about myself and others, I have to stop shaming myself. I have to stop shaming other people. I can't hold their sin over them anymore. I got to stop treating everybody like they're broken and messed up and a horrible person who needs help and needs to change. No, they're perfect. I got to start viewing them through the lens of Christ. There's the lingering effects. I'm not trying to minimize. Like There are things that have to get dealt with in our lives. We have to relearn things. We got to be trained in new ways. We have to learn how to operate in this world and not hurt people. But we have to stop seeing each other, though, through that lens of the old Adam and start to see each other through the lens of the gospel. Your spouse is perfect. Your neighbor is perfect in Christ. They have been purchased through Christ. Stop holding their sins over them. Stop putting them to shame. The Lord wants all of us He wants us not to make us suffer or to put us to shame like everything else in this world, but he wants us so that we will have life, so that we will never be put to shame.